0: On today's episode of Coach's Corner, I was joined by Brendan Bergen. Brendan is an inspirational BHS coach, mentor and assessor at his base, Bergen Equine in County Wicklow. He is one of few coaches in Ireland to hold the BHSI Performance Coach in Complete Horsemanship, International Level 3 Coach, as well as the BHS Stage 4 Senior Trail Yard Manager. Brendan is also a biomechanics specialist that focuses in horse and rider centred development of all ages, disciplines and levels. I really enjoyed our conversation and we touched on so much and he really gave me a lot to think about after we recorded. We covered the importance of asking riders the right questions, what words he stays away from when coaching, how we should manage our trim and what he has learned from failing exams. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, welcome back to the Inside Brain Podcast, and I'm so delighted to be joined by Brendan Bergen from Bergen Equine. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How have you been keeping? Um, we got in touch um, on Instagram, um, the wonderful uh, positives of social media, and yeah, I had heard of you through various different um, people and just like Ireland is a small country and you know you kind of get to know the industry a bit more and the more I did research, the more I was fascinated about the work that you do. So yeah, um, if you'd like to introduce yourself um, to the podcast and tell us a little bit more about yourself before we go into how you got into horses.
1: So uh, I, I usually have a quote of the day. So uh, today's quote of the day is you will never know how far you might go if you look up. So I suppose that was my my whole ethos in in getting into the equine industry is that I looked up and I kind of thought about where could I go? What could I do? And my big interest is uh, helping people, developing people and that way that interfaces with the with horses. And I suppose the big interesting thing is that um, most of the problems that we have with our horses are, are not a rider-specific problem or a horse-specific problem, they're usually an interface, a partnership problem. So if you could start problem-solving that partnership problem, you'd never know where you might go with, with that partnership. It, they, they, you could go anywhere. Like some people go, oh, I'm competing at prelim. Uh, I'd love to go and do an elementary, and then they're out doing a medium or an advanced medium or going even further beyond. And I suppose that's, that's the coach's job is to grow people beyond where they believe because coaches are like um future readers they should be able to see down the track and see what's possible and start moving mm. the stars to align people to that
0: I love that um that you say that coaches you know coaches can see the future tracks with another uh, podcast episode I had you know we were kind of talking about the power coaches have and would you agree in saying that you know we play such a vital role in in, in the riders' lives?
1: Absolutely. Like what's what's interesting um, about, about coaching is that if you're really coaching well, um, you're not intimidated by someone else's progress. So you could have a coach who maybe hasn't competed beyond medium level, but they could actually be helping someone to go beyond medium level because in the, in the essence, what a coach is, is, is eyes on the ground and a piece of computer software in terms of um, they will the, the, the skill in coaching is to ask the right questions so that um, people start producing their own answers. The worst kind of coaching is uh or the most basic kind of coaching, I suppose, is that you're telling the person what to do and remote control yeah. carrying the person around the arena. And you know what, there's a part uh, there's there's a, uh, a sense in that needs to happen, too, in that if you've never ridden a shoulder in before or if you've never mm-hmm. jumped a corner, you've got to be told these are the rules of how you do it. And then you can start mm-hmm. to uh, grow your own style. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think think coaches are, are, are extremely powerful. And we have to be really careful uh that we are always coming at things from a positive angle and not just a negative angle and and i suppose i suppose that's that's the trick is is you know um giving people the right positive feedback when i say positive yeah. i mean it like uh um, i don't mean pluses and minuses i think more of uh you know developmental i suppose
0: yeah 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 so with all of that I suppose kind of rewinding a little bit how did you initially get into horses um, I suppose and find where you wanted to go how did you basically get to where you are today if that makes sense so yeah. like did your interest in coaching kind of start from a young age or did it kind of naturally progress that way?
1: I've always I've always been interested in horses, so I started as a once a week rider, and it just progressed on to the point where um, I heard about doing exams. So I got a book, I opened the back of the book, I looked in the book, and it had this pathway. So stage one all the way up to uh, BHSI fellowship level, and I decided at that point that um, again we come back to I, I, I'm 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 a bit of a quote box. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address. Uh, what you you are, whatever you are, be a good one. And I thought, do you know what? If I'm going to be a coach, um, I'm going to try and work up this ladder to develop my coaching skills. So I'm now at this stage, I've worked up to, I'm a BHSI, um, I'm I'm a BHS assessor. So I I assess people towards their uh, BHS exams. And I suppose... I hope I, I asked the right questions to um, the coaches who are on the way up because we all need to be directed and we need people to help us grow. So I suppose that, that's sort of where, where that came from. But um, I then sort of, I, when I started on that, I got my AI and I, I went off and I went to England and I worked in England for a while, uh, doing a bit of dressage and, and that, and then went back to college. Uh, and then went off to Australia and learned a whole new sort of language of horses. Uh, uh, I suppose like learning theory, I, I'd never sort of heard of learning theory until I arrived. And then went back to college again and then went off to Denmark and did more learning theory and biomechanics stuff, uh, particularly with show jumping. And it just, it's, it, it, when, you, when you get your AI first and things like that, you, you, you think that you have all the answers uh um, and then as you progress on you start to realize that you have all the questions and that the (laughs) the the job is to to start working towards the answer but the more you work towards the answer the more you find in the question um and again i've got another quote i I just jotted down a few um everyone wants to live at the top of a mountain but all the happiness and growth uh, occurs while you're while you're climbing that's andy rooney who is uh Uh, broadcaster in the United States Um, and I suppose that's what I'm doing at the moment I'm climbing this mountain I'm trying to figure out what direction I'm going to go and Mm -hmm. and trying to help people along the way Mm -hmm. so that that was sort of my journey
0: sorry I really like how um, I really like how you incorporate you know um, quotes into your I suppose daily life Um, and I really love that one about You know, yes, climbing the mountain, you know, it's nice when we get to the top, but it's it's the process of getting there is quite sweet as well. And I think that's an important point for, you know, no matter what uh, profession you're in, horses or even riders, is to enjoy the journey getting to where you want to go, you know.
1: I I think the more terrifying thing actually is that you might actually reach the top of the mountain. Because yeah. once you get there, what are you gonna do?
0: <laughs> you know, yeah.
1: You're gonna start at the bottom of another mountain. I suppose that's I suppose that's the whole thing, isn't it? You know, if you become the absolute best at, at something and you've you've learned everything there is to learn, where's the fun in it anymore? So
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say that's kind of something that, you know, maybe people don't really think about a lot is, you know, yes, we want to get to ABC, but you know how often do we think beyond that as well so i suppose it's important to have goals after your goals as well if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah absolutely like the think Love about that. goals is, Love and go, go, goals is quite quite an interesting thought because um your your goals are effectively your wish list so uh, all a wish is, is uh, a goal without a timeline so if you have if you have the dream to ride a Grand Prix or do a four star or whatever, you've got to you've got to put put up your wish up on the wall and then you've got to start working backwards from that wish and, and breaking it down into those small steps. And I think that's what was um, what we're as, as Irish people in our culture are not good at is going there's the end point. Here's the gap in the middle where we, what are we going to do to get to that end point? What I think we kind of do is we just sort of start climbing and and because there's no particular focus in a direction it, you know the climbing becomes very all of place. you climb it this way and then you climb it that way and then you climb yeah. it the other way whereas very you, erratic, like. exactly so if you set the goal and, and start building up the blocks you know with a good coach or um with a with a good confidant you can really make a huge amount of progress in a short time
0: so is that something you do in bergen equine is uh do sit down sessions um in mindset, as well as the, in the arena sessions?
1: Yeah, so in, one, in one-to-ones, in there's a bit of that going on. But uh, we teach a lot of groups. And I suppose that the thing with the groups is we, we have a very developmental approach. Like, by the end of term, we want to be able to do this. So last term's thing was every rider who can walk truck canter is starting cross-country. Because what we did is we, we built um, a bank complex in our arena, just a, um, got a 50-centimeter bank and a 70-centimeter bank. Um, and the whole goal was that every rider who can walk, trot, canter will be doing cross country. So we were, so we were working on those cross country skills, slipping the reins, finding the balance, keeping the weight behind the stirrups, all those sort of things. And now they're all starting cross country uh, in, in an arena safe environment. Uh, we've got a full set of small cross country fence for everyone to start with. Um, so they start very simply with walking up and down banks, trotting up and down banks, cantering up and down banks. And I suppose, the the whole focus I have is that everyone should be able to progress. Um, And the other thing that I try and do is I I try and uh, train the skill and let people um, explore the skill. Because what happens a lot with coaching is uh, the coach is limited in what they understand. Uh, They haven't applied it enough. So what happens is that they can only teach something one way. So you might have... So I might have... 70 people uh doing the bank in the in the first week say for example but each one of those is going to need to find their own way and apply the skills that they've learned in a different way and I think the skill in coaching is to be able to stand back and let them show those skills rather than trying to ram everyone like play-doh into the one mold so I suppose that's (laughs) that's what I do in my sort of goal setting with, with my sort of once a week writing skill clients my more competitive clients obviously you'll have someone who wants to work towards a medium or advanced medium and their big problem usually going from medium to advanced mediums is is, is they, they can't do the changes um yeah. because the horse is anticipating the changes or they've never rid, ridden a change and it's the blind beating the blind um mm-hmm. and uh you've got to you've got a problem like changes on the one of the most interesting things to teach because you've got to problem solve those exercise problem solve exercises that will make the change happen so they can feel the change once you can do that then you start you can start building building it on and i suppose that's one of my biggest things i have a few people who want to go from medium to advanced medium and, and they just cannot get past that barrier and i suppose that that's that is the problem with not goal setting the right way if your dream is to go past advanced medium, you have to start doing the changes uh, when you're doing the elementaries, because then then the change is available when you need it. And it's not just a fluffing yeah. it through the changes, which is what happens to most people.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like that, that you say, you know, if you want to do the change at advanced medium, start doing it in, at elementary. So there's an element of almost kind of training above a level that you're at at home so by the time you get to that level in competition it's ready and waiting for you that you're not training at the competition at the same time if that makes sense
1: oh 100 like um training a level ahead is all very well um but the important thing to to look ahead with is what are the problems that are coming down the track so in dressage the changes are a problem in eventing from three star onwards the changes are a problem again show jumping, yeah. the changes are never a problem because there's no pressure <laughs> on them. And from four years old, the horses are changing here, there, and everywhere because they're used to changing. Um, whereas we go, oh, we want you on the correct leg. We've got to sort it. We've got to do this, you got to do that. And I suppose um, one of my big idols in, in riding, uh, sadly now deceased, is Rainer Klimka. And that's because his approach was to find the horse's natural aptitude and work the horse through that. And Ingrid, his daughter, who competes at international level eventing and so on, uh, has that very same approach. So everything is trained thoroughly, step-by-step, step, so that everything is always available. Like for example, if you if you have yeah. a horse, if you've got a horse who's a bit dull in the canter, changes are a great way to sparkle it up. Do you know what I mean? And you can do so many mm-hmm. exercises to, to work towards them and help yourself towards them. So anyway. Not to make this into a co- podcast about changes, we should probably <laughs> move on from that
0: yeah 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 no i i I, I really like um uh, and Ingrid's like way way of training and you know the 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 varieties that they have, and I suppose kind of going back to um you know why you love coaching and as well as like helping people what's kind of the buzz that you get out of it the most you know I suppose like what gets you up out of bed every morning to continue coaching if that makes sense
1: oh that's a good answer um or a good question um (laughs) I suppose I suppose what, what I enjoy doing is uh, I enjoy connecting the dots for people a little bit. So: um, So what, I suppose what I, I think of is when I, when, I, when I start working with a new partnership, what I have to do is I have to try and hit a reset button so that they are able to build on to their writing. Their I suppose that's the one big thing about coaching is. Coaching isn't me teaching people Brendan Bergen's way of doing this. Coaching is my way of integrating the missing parts into someone's, into someone's writing or developing parts that need developing. So I suppose I find it really interesting to read what is, the, what is the part that needs developing and how do we grow it. And I suppose that's what gets you out of the bed is if you look at every writer like a Rubik's Cube, Suddenly, you've got puzzles everywhere to solve, and I enjoy the puzzle, and I enjoy puzzling through it, and I enjoy when a horse throws their toys out of the pram. We've got to come at so many different ways. So, for example, uh, over the weekend, I was I was coaching a girl who, her horse is inactive left hind leg, but you can't do turn on the forehand with it because it stands up, and you can't do rain back with it because it stands up. And those would be two of the core exercises if you need to to rock a horse back onto a hind leg you'd use that so what we had to do is we had i had to find a way to do turn on the forehand coming from trot uh transitioning into walk while doing the turn of the forehand and then trotting on again so the horse is thinking forward enough that they're not going to stand up and it was it was great because I was I'm I, I tend to sit on the sidelines when I have a horse that's inclined to be sidelines. tense, uh, and it was interesting to just watch how the horse's understanding developed. The rider's uh, aids became softer, and then by the end of the session, the horse could do turn on the forehand from walk into trot or into canter into whatever. And I suppose that was it's it was something I'd never had to do before, so I've got to puzzle it out on the fly, and figure out whether my skills are good enough that i can make it happen for them and i suppose thankfully it worked out doesn't always but it worked out that time
0: (laughs) what i love about that is i suppose the um flexibility of coaches how you know we might set out in a session you know to Start off, you know, like that, doing wing back or turn on the forehand, thinking, yeah, it's gonna come from halt or walk or whatever. But then we have to completely think outside the box, you know, and see how you're going to adapt. So, for I suppose up and coming coaches, then you know, would you say that being able to adapt and learning to think outside the box when it comes to teaching riders? that, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's um, Like what you said earlier, you're putting, you know, a um, Play-Doh into one mould. You know, it's not always going to be that way. So would you say adaptability and, you know, thinking on the moment is an important, I suppose, skill for coaches to have?
1: Yes, I would. What I I find I think of is, again, and here comes another quote, uh, Harry Potter quote this time, Mm -hmm. um, words are our most powerful source of magic. And I suppose I think that uh, you have to think about what do your words mean? So some examples of that, that I like, I, if you've ever, anyone who's ever watched me teach probably looks at me and goes, oh, my God, what's he saying? And that's because I try not to speak horse when I coach. I try and speak English when I coach. So uh, or Irish or whatever language I'm, I'm coaching in at the time. Um, so, uh, words I stay away from are, uh, heels down, uh, half halt, um, ride the horse more forward because they don't actually mean anything. So like if you take heels down, for example, when you break that down, when you're saying heels down, what you're, what you're actually saying is your weight needs to be behind the stirrup. Uh, and you've got to sit your body taller. That's what heels down means. Whereas heels down for most people, because they don't know any better, is shove leg forward and throw your bum out the back of the saddle. Uh, same as half halt. Mm. Half halt to me, to me means bring the horse back, roll the muscles back towards the hindquarters. Whereas if you ask 20 different coaches, what does half halt mean? mean you'll probably get more like 150 answers because some people say oh you pull on the outside or (laughs) you do this or you do that or do the other Uh, and I suppose you have to think about what do your words mean and make sure that you use them in a very clear way with great purpose and intent so I think Mm -hmm. adaptability is really important but understanding what you're saying so so the, another good example is if you watch um, people teaching jumping, you'll hear leg, 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 leg. If you haven't used that much leg to make a horse go to a fence, you're doing it wrong because the horse should draw to the fence and the rider yeah. should be sitting quiet so the horse can look, read, and do. Uh, so I suppose uh, that, that would be my answer to that. I know sorry, a bit long, convoluted, but I suppose that's me. <laughs>
0: I what I what really um kind of sparked me there was and I I had just numerous conversations with coaches about the power of language, you know, and it's it's something so simple, like I guess all coaches have done it, you know, say heels down or leg or like that, whatever it is. And I guess it's it's kind of being aware of ourselves in terms of what we're saying, so the writers can fully understand the reason why why we're saying it. If that makes sense, you know, and like that being adaptable, but also being aware of of making sure the writers understand what it is what we're saying, and we're not just saying words to kind of fill the silence or whatever.
1: Absolutely. What's What's interesting as well is I think like I, although I sound like Mr. Adaptable and Mr. Whatever. Uh, I have a structure that I use when I'm coaching, whether I'm coaching someone towards advanced medium dressage, or I'm teaching a bibbly-bobbly-boo who's starting the rising trot. You can break down what everyone's doing into basically four things. They have to look and plan or point their head where they want to go. They have to go at the right speed. They have to ride in the right direction, and they have to ride in the right balance. And if you start, if you give that structure to someone, say, this is what I'm looking for, um, then they start to understand uh, a process. And the same way as I I use William Micklum's constants and variables a lot, um, because they make sense to people in a way that the scale of training doesn't necessarily make sense to people. Because the scale of training is a sort of an evaluation tool, whereas you kind of need a coaching tool to uh help people help people along their routes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose, you know, within that, then like with having your process and you know saying to the writer, this is what you want. When it comes to I suppose training people then up for the BHS exams and stuff would you apply that same process? You know, um, I suppose like what I'm trying to say is like, my words are, are kind of like getting jumbled off, but would you have that kind of same process when you're teaching people through the BHS exams as well?
1: I suppose the th- thing about working towards BHS exams is you have to, you have to aware that there is, there's criteria in place to uh Mm. to pass the exam and you've got to meet those criteria but there's no reason why meeting those criteria can't be a creative and a learning process so for example i'm doing i'm doing a webinar series at the moment uh, for the stage three coaching and uh, i started off designing it and i i thought oh it's got to do the syllabus so i i I broke it down into three weeks Uh, but then i started to think about it going what what we're actually talking about here is becoming a better coach so what I started doing is yes covering the content but also covering it from the point of view of what we should all be doing is is trying to become a better coach and I think that's what what people need to think of when they're when they're going down that BHS exams route there's no such thing as the BHS way there's there's, it just doesn't exist it's what there is is safe coaching practice unsafe coaching practice Developmental coaching and diminutive coaching. And you've got to be going developmental and you've got to have mm. a process and you've got to be working towards the criteria. Again, if, for example, if you're, if you're, a, uh, I use old money because most people are more familiar with it. If you're an AI, your job is to coach people to novice stress. So in your AI teaching, you've got to be talking about Nava stress in the same way as you're coaching mm. people up to 100s, uh, eventing. So you've got to be talking about, the skills to go to 100 and if you're not doing that uh, you're not hitting the mark what people get very stuck in is oh it's a flat work session or it's a this session or it's a that session but you can broaden and you can you can use it as a as a skills development tool my best exam that i ever did uh, and and it's the best exam i ever did because i failed it so many times was my bhsi so i failed the failed the writing three times and I failed the coaching twice and you know what it was the best thing ever to fail because here comes another quote failure is the key to success each mistake teaches something and that's from Moria uh, Yushiva, who's an Aikido master and I suppose I learned so much from uh, failing it that then when I got it I felt I was really there and that I really had and it wasn't just a fluke Whereas. It would have been great to have passed the first time, but I wouldn't be the coach I am now without the failure along the journey. Mm. So I think mm. that's the other thing is for people not to be afraid of failing and to always think of, of yeah. the acronym FAIL, first attempt and learning. You know, uh, you have to fail to succeed. If you're succeeding all the time, you're not pushing yourself far enough. Mm.
0: Mm. I love that. I love uh, what you said about, you know, that not be afraid of failure. We should almost kind of welcome it in in a way, because like you say, you, you know you wouldn't be the coach at USA if you hadn't failed and I suppose that's a testament to your determination and to your drive to becoming the best coach that you can be because you went back and you you know you 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 figured out how you were going to get better the next time you know what I mean so I think that's very solid advice for anybody listening to this that you know welcome failure in a way
1: but don't get me wrong failure is not easy and, and and I'm a person who gets hit hard by failure as well but at the same time, you, you only know how good the failure was, the first attempt in at learning was, when you look back. When you're in the moment, yeah. your world has just crumbled. You've spent however many hundred or thousand on this thing, and it hasn't come off, uh, and then once you get it, you look back and go, oh, do you know what? It was actually so good I failed that. But it's mm-hmm. hard to see it in the moment. What I'm not saying is, besides you- you're going to go out and do a, 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 a medium test, when your horse can barely trot down the center line. Like th- that's just craziness. You know, there's got to be, there's got to be, a, there, there's a gamble point that you got to roll the dice on. And if you're, if you're rolling the dice too fast and loose, you're going to, you're, you're heading towards a problem, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And would you say then that like self-reflection then would be a big part of, you know, like, I suppose, encouraging coaches younger and upper coaches, up and coming coaching, but even coaching yourself, you know, would you be taking part in a lot of self-reflection to see how
1: yeah. well, you can I,
0: constantly improve?
1: I, I do. I, I, I engage in a lot of a lot of training, a lot of mentoring. So I have I have a lady in England who I, I engage with every, every week. Uh, Carol Broad, she's a fellow of BHS, and she, she's quite yeah. fantastic. So I do some stuff. So so some I have a, a Pivo system and I sit that in the arena and she can coach me on my horse. Um, if the weather's horrendous and the Pivo can't work because it's raining, uh, we'll do an online theory session and discuss stuff. Um, I then have, uh, my coach in Ireland, who's Melanie Rin, and I go to her every week, um, for either dressage or show jumping or whatever, even if I'm not working towards a specific competition goal at the moment, it's really important to keep up on your training. Uh, and I notice it myself that if I have a break from training, my coaching diminishes because I don't have that same drive and urgency and, and I suppose that drive to work out what I've been told. So my, my clients in some ways are, are a little bit guinea pigs of what I've done. So if I would had a coaching session it's been a bit hard and I'm trying to figure something out, guess what we're doing for the week? We're going to do that um, until I can figure out, because then I've got a <laughs> sample size of maybe a hundred people over the week that I can work out this thing. Um, and then by the time I come yeah. back again, Uh, I've developed my writing skill, and as a result, I've I've also developed the coaching skill to that. Because what's really interesting about um, writing skills and coaching skills is that they're they're quite closely linked. You you start, when you're learning how to do something, if you start learning how to do it, then you start to try and teach someone to do that skill. You suddenly start to understand, first of all, the frustration your coach may be going through to coach you it. And secondly, how to do it better because uh, I'm, I'm a real visual uh, kinesthetic learner. So I have to get stuck into something, have a go at it and cock it up. Like I was the kid who, you know, I, I take things apart um, and then try to put them back together. Yeah. And with many failed attempts, you could, I could usually make whatever it is work eventually. Um, maybe it wouldn't have all the features that it did initially, but I, I, um, I suppose I, I enjoy that. And, and I suppose the more I get coached the more I I can look up and, and again, uh, you only know how far you can go uh, if you start looking up. So I suppose I'm always looking up and I'm always engaging. Like I was so lucky recently, I was at the F&I annual course and we had Caroline Moore there, who's an eventing coach, absolutely sensational coach, and Richard Davidson, who's a dressage coach. And it was just really great to hear their ideas. And what's really interesting is uh, when you look at coaches who are insecure in their learning they, they they're so quick to go, oh, I'm doing that already. I'm doing that already. Whereas I was looking at some of this stuff going, oh, my God, why am I not doing that already? How can I incorporate that? Yeah. I arrived back and my first lesson back, I was like, right, what we're going to start doing is we're going to start counting how many strides in canter it takes to go around the edge of the arena. And that way you can start looking yeah. at the meters per minute. You can start looking at because I know the size of my arena. So I can start determining what speed people are countering. And then you bring that on to a course. I'd never seen anyone do that before. And I was like, how have I missed this in all my years of coaching? So I suppose I love that. I love when you find something a bit novel, a bit new and refreshes you. And it's just it's just amazing. I love I love that.
0: But it's also like very important as coaches, you know, to upskill and you know be coached themselves, whether they ride or even like that through webinars or you know even the CPD days. It's it, it's just so important now. So we're kind of always being inspired, or we're always learning. So therefore, we're passing it on down, you know.
1: Absolutely. Like the, the interesting thing is. COVID um, has been blamed for, for so much. But you know what, COVID has actually been absolutely brilliant in some ways because what it's actually done is it's opened up the world. Like, would your podcast have come uh, if, you, if you hadn't had time in COVID to go, do you want, I've got to do something? Uh, and I've accessed more online training now than I ever have in my life. And over the course of the sort of year of COVID, we were closed for nearly nine months. I did, I'd say about 40 different webinars And I was only bursting to get back to the coaching. Um, And then I started doing a few webinars and it was just really great to see how we can change what we're doing uh, all of a sudden and Mm. develop all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I do agree on that COVID definitely helped people in the way, you know, I had a a conversation with that dress-size rider that, through lockdown she found it out she wanted to do veterinary and you know little things like that and like that even the podcast for me it was just a a time for me to kind of take a take a break and just think god what is it that I that I want to do and you know like you say COVID kind of got a bit of a bad rap but I think it was that chance for coaches to kind of reinvent themselves re-inspire themselves and like kind of remember why they love coaching so much because you know it's it, like we're in Ireland it's, it's, the weather is hard evenings just short you know and it, I suppose it's, it's a hard job in ways but nice kind of take that step back and be like okay now I'm so inspired I really can't wait to get back out and get going again
1: see and the other thing that I started doing what, what, during COVID is I started writing so I started writing articles for the Irish field and uh, I've done a few of those, and then I've started writing for another um, online magazine called The Grassroots Gazette, and it's been really great to take my thoughts, uh, put them down, write them down, to hold myself to account on, this is what you do, and you've got to do it, because it's really easy to flip and flop around the place, but when you've written an article about something, you've kind of got to practice your your approach, yeah. and I suppose it was really cathartic to sit down and and see what I did and and to start realizing the things I did and also by writing starting to realize the things that I I was saying that I was doing in the article but needed a bit of a sharpen up on.
0: With writing the articles um, I had actually read a few articles in um, the field and they're really fantastic so how do you manage yourself as a coach to I suppose give the best of yourself to, you know, like you say, uh, the articles that you write, the webinars, and then the, and then the coaching um, in the arena. So, how do you manage your lifestyle as a coach? So you can give the best to each, each and every area.
1: Okay. So, uh, first of all, the, the big thing I have to admit to myself is I'm a burn the candle at every end kind of thing. So, a <laughs> mo- lot, lot of those articles are I woke up at two in the morning with an idea and sat down at the computer and started to write. Um, so I suppose what I try to do every time I step into the arena to coach is I, I try to leave what's come before at the gate. Now it's not always successful, but I try to leave what's come before at the gate and I try to go right. What are we doing today? And try to look at what I've got in front of me because some days people come in and they're a bit off. Some days I come in, I'm a bit off. And what we've got to do is you got to make the best of the situation. So one of the favorite phrase phrases people use, they go, Oh, make the best of a bad situation. And if you if you change that phrase around, you start going, I've got to make the best of the situation. Suddenly you start to see the opportunities rather than the problems. Mm. So I really try. Now it's not, not all successful. And, uh, it, and any of my clients will tell you I can be a right grumpy sod as well. And and if they're not getting what I'm saying, and I've tried to explain it a few ways and they're not getting it, I can get a bit ratty and a bit grumpy about it, but I really try to ask the right question. And if I could, if I could teach or if I could give advice to anyone up and coming in the coaching, uh, it, it is that coaching is about asking the right question. Mm. If you ask the right question, Nearly anyone will have the right answer. The problem is we don't ask the right question. Now, yeah. uh, so I try to uh, question people to the solution rather than telling them, because as soon as you tell someone their brain goes into lazy days mode and they don't yeah. they don't absorb the lesson. So that was that's my my one of my big things is, well, especially if I'm feeling a bit grumpy, I will ask more questions. Uh, because that way I can start to see where we're at and it gives me a chance to draw breath. It puts the work of it onto the client and then I can start to redirect their knowledge into the right place. So, for example, a good example is I have a few clients whose horses, and I use inverted commas here, spook in the corners. And the ho- there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the horse. The problem is the client has decided in that corner of their arena is a scary horse eating monster. And as a result, the horse thinks there is a scary horse eating monster. Um, and what you have to start doing is you've got to start trying to, first of all, you, f- the first feeling you have is you're just being an Egypt, The horse isn't afraid. That's the first feeling you have as a coach, but <laughs> coming into someone and saying you're wrong, you're an idiot is not an option. So what you have to do is you have to ask them what, what do you think is going to happen? And they'll tell you, Oh, I think the horse is going to spook. And then you'll ask them something like, so if the horse is going to spook, do you want to have more energy in or less energy? Because a lot of people, when they think the horse is going to spook, what do they do? They start jabbing with spurs and kicking the horse forward. And that to me is like going to the bonfire, getting the petrol can and throwing it in. Whereas what you're actually much better off to do if the horse is going to spook is do a redirection exercise. So you might leg yield the horse out you might do a bit of shouldering. You will try to downgrade the energy level so that when the horse, if the horse does spook, you're sitting on a bunny rabbit, not sitting on an explosive kangaroo. So yeah. um, I suppose that's, and that comes from good questions. What do you think the horse is gonna do? Okay, so why don't we redirect the horse into doing this? And then they oh, I don't think it'll work. Well, why don't we try it and yeah. see what happens? Because most horses spook due to lack of understanding of what they're doing. It's like horses who rear horses rear because the signals conflict and they don't understand. That's why, that's why they do it. Uh, In most cases. Now there's other situations where like, obviously if a snake jumped into your arena and (laughs) the horse is going to rear and run away, but most of the problems can be solved by understanding two things about horses. First of all, they have a really, really tiny prefrontal cortex. That's the part of, the, of your brain and my brain that allows me to deceive you, lie to you, plan against you, uh, and plan to murder someone. That's the part of the brain that does that. And the horse's prefrontal cortex is teeny tiny. So their ability to stand in the stable and plan that they're going to put you in the in the hedge is nearly non-existent. The second thing that the horse has in their brain is the amygdala. And their amygdala is the biggest portion of their brain. And that's the part of their brain that uh, incites the spook and the flight response. So when horses spook or take fright at something, there's always a reason why. But the reason why shouldn't matter to the rider. The rider's job is to keep the horse under stimulus control, to give the horse enough to do that they can overshadow that signal, whether it's a... car flying past the corner of the arena or whatever. So with our young stock, when we were, when we have, we have a few young stock who are sort of now starting to put legs on the ground, if you like, they're going to be starting to be ridden. And they're so bomb proof already because they were all there when we've had diggers there. And when we have diggers there, we try and have the young stock near the digger. So they get used to the digger. And then after a while they start going, Oh, the digger's an interesting thing, not a scary thing. And if we all started looking at horses to the other end of the telescope, suddenly we'd have a, a totally different approach that might be more horse centred rather than rider centred.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that, you know, making it, making it um, horse centred and even like that, just understanding the different parts of the brain just raises a bit more awareness that, you know, when they do spook in the corner. <laughs> I love the quote that uh, if impulsion doesn't come from the leg, it comes from the spookiest corner of the arena. But like, if we if we kind of like change the way we, we see things and like that, understand, you know, that there's a way around it rather than like that, yeah, putting the spur on and then encouraging them more forward, it makes for a better partnership because a quote that I had uh, listened to a podcast that you were on, it, you were saying, you know, it's not often a horse problem, it's a partnership problem, and it's getting through the problem together, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. That, that's, that's the whole thing. And then just thinking about the human brain for a I'm reading a book at the moment called The Chimp Paradox. And anyone who, yes, has, uh, excellent. Anyone who has competition stress should read the book because it's mm-hmm. just such a clever thought. Um, it's such a clever approach to understanding how the human brain works so what the chimp paradox says pretty much is in your head you have three things the human and the human looks after logic reason all that sort of thing uh planning out what's going to happen next the second thing you have is the chimp and the chimp looks after your emotions your raw feelings so for me uh when i'm hungry i get really hungry if i'm hungry i am not the person to be around and that's when i'll come in and i'll coach you badly And then the final thing is the computer. And the computer is like the the background app refresh going on there. Um, But what's interesting about about humans is that we can usually identify when someone else needs to calm down. We can usually identify when we need to calm down. The problem is you're dealing with a chimp. And a chimp cannot be told to calm down by being told to calm down. What the chimp needs is the chimp needs to be given something to occupy its brain. So, for example, all my riders have to wear a neck strap of some kind. So what I tell them if their horse is uh, having a problem or if they don't know what to do is I get them to hook their two fingers into the neck strap and pull on it. And that does two things. First of all, it doesn't do a whole lot to the horse because it's pressure on the base of their neck, which they can tolerate really well. Secondly, the chimp has been conditioned over many, many years of riding that pull means stop. So the chimp is happy because when the chimp is scared, something is happening to slow the horse down, they're getting to pull. Um, and as a result, you start then to diffuse the chimp bomb and the human. The, you put, put the rider into a more secure place because they're hooked into an X-Trap and they can usually still steer if you get them to hold an X-Trap the right way. So there's lots of little sort of um, mind tricks that you can do in the physical world. Because mm-hmm. most people are not able to control themselves in the mental world. I'm exactly the same. If I perceive one of my difficulties is my external protect per, perception of self is when I ride, I think I ride like a cabbage. And um I can't get past the oh Mary's riding the arena. Oh, I wonder what Mary's thinking about me. Oh, geez, I think Mary must yeah. think I'm doing this and I must think, about it. but. It's the most destructive thing, whereas the reality is Mary couldn't give a bugger about what I'm doing. She's too busy dealing with her own. Oh, God, I wonder what Brendan thinks of me. And oh, he's sure he's got his eye. Yeah. And, he this. and <laughs> so you've got these two people in the arena going round and round, doing a really poor job with their horse because they're so worried about what each other are thinking about each other. So um, uh, I can't remember who 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 did this, had this quote, but it was if you're thinking, oh, it's Russell Brand. If if you're thinking about what someone else is thinking about you, you're missing the point. It's absolutely yeah. none of your business. And if I could teach myself that, I guarantee you, I arrived so much better. And I, um, I'm there in the coaching, in the coaching. I don't mind what anyone thinks about my coaching. I'm totally there. Uh, I don't mind if I'm telling people to pat their head and rub their tummy. I don't care who comes in to watch me do that. I know what I'm doing. I feel comfortable. But in the riding, I lack that confidence of, yeah, I'm doing the right thing most of the time. Mm. Then you have the odd day and I come out and I go, yeah, I'm on it. I'm doing the business. But most of the time I'm there going, "Mm, I wonder. And that's as well. It's part of of my setup in that I, I generally ride first thing in the morning and I'm on my own. There's no one around. So I'm actually not used to having people around me what i should actually be doing is trying to get on my horse when someone else is doing something because yeah. then i i would have to start addressing the issue so yeah. i suppose we all have our little demons going on in the background and, and no one has any realization of what someone else's demons are you should just be trying to deal with your own
0: yeah yeah i love um i love that book and i'll link it in the show notes uh the Trim out Doc, because like you said it's We've all been there when the chimp voice is a lot louder than than what the than what I suppose the rational voice would be. And actually it was um Kevin Akers had mentioned a quote on the podcast that if you thought if you knew how little people thought of you, you'd be offended. You know, and I think that's something for people to remember that, you know, we we all of course worry about what other people think of us, but you know. We only have, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour with the horse. And like you say, you want to build up that partnership with the horse and understand them. So, of course, it's easier said than done. But I suppose it's relatability and it's it's relatability that everybody suffers with, you know, wondering what everybody thinks of us. But if we put our focus to improving our partnership with the horse and the understanding of the horse, you know, we will kind of fill in the gap between where we are and where we want to go a little bit smoothly.
1: Yeah, but there's another interesting thought on that, and that's the, um, the focus value problem that we have as writers, especially when you go to the likes of a clinic. So say, for example, uh, Caroline Moore is over and she's only over once this year um, or whoever, Richard Davison, whoever it is. You go along to that lesson, you're like, right, I'm going to get the most out of this lesson. So what you do then is you go activate chimp brain. And that's the problem because you've gone and you've gone, I'm going to nail this lesson. So the way I dealt with that as a a writer is I now get loads of lessons. So I I have my lady, I go. I have from England, uh, Carol Broad. I have her once a week. I have Melanie Rin once a week. My wife helps me from the ground another time. So all my lessons are, it's going to sound really weird, but they're all extremely low value. And what I mean by that is that I know that I will be doing it again next week. Whereas if you're having yeah. a lesson every two weeks or once a month or once every six months with someone, it becomes such a high value thing that you're building it up in your head the whole time. It's like um, what's happened to a lot of people with uh, COVID and stuff is loads of concerts and stuff have been canceled and gigs and all sorts of stuff have been canceled. So in their head, they're building up this gig all the time, it gets canceled again, you're building up again. Then you go to the actual gig or comedy, whatever, and you're like, oh, you're actually a lot more rubbish than I remember you being from the last time. And I think that happens a whole lot with, with, with us as, as people, is we, we build this pressure into ourselves. And, and I'm actually absolutely the worst person for it. And, and that's why as a coach, I can help people a lot with stress because I feel it acutely myself. Uh, and the best coaches in my opinion are the coaches that have struggled and succeeded rather than the coaches who've, who've come and they've gone all the way to the top of something at a really young age. Because yeah. if you've managed to do that, like if you are if riding uh, Grand Prix age 25 or uh, show jumping Grand Prix's age 20, 21, What's happened is that you've 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 locked in, in that you've gotten the right horse, you've gotten the right trainer, you've gotten all that all at the one time, and I'm so delighted for those sort of people. But I wasn't one of them. I I I'm working and I'm grinding and I'm trudging, and through that grinding and trudging, I might not be learning a huge amount for myself necessarily all the time, but I'm learning a huge amount for helping others. And I suppose when you start thinking of, uh, we have to build each other so that we can all grow, then that's when mm. you start to really move towards uh, a proper coaching paradigm. Uh, another quote, I know you're probably sick of them, but uh, I trained a lot with William Micklem for a time, and, and I'm still quite well connected with William. And uh, one of his quotes that he, he uses, and, and it's one that we could all learn from, is you have to stand on the shoulders of giants. So what you have to do is you got to find a coach that inspires you so much. That's Carol Broad for me. She inspires me so much, not as just as a writer, but to be just better. And if you can find yeah. that person, suddenly you have this magic urge to go on. And I suppose that's, I hope I never learned that. I hope I'll be 95 and I'll be still going to training days. And I learned just as much watching someone who's just starting out coaching as I do watching someone coach top level, because coaching is just eyes on the ground. So as soon as you start looking through someone else's glasses, you start to see what they see. And then once you start to Mm -hmm. see other people's point of views, your point of view starts coming into sharper focus. And I suppose that's that's what I try to do. Not always successful. I can be opinionated and arrogant just like everyone else, but I try not to be. It's just when my chimp gets activated, that's the problem.
0: what I love there is um you know is you're so proactive and your your passion and eagerness for learning is so so important I I I think it's something that the listeners will go away kind of feeling really eager you know to go on to the next webinar you know like that stand on the shoulders of giants because we we never stop learning and one of the things that kind of stood out to me is you know you have your lessons with carol you have your lessons with melanie and you have a few other people so is that important for you as a coach to have coaching sessions with different coaches because we can take bits and pieces from everyone and then apply them to our own system you know i guess
1: yes and no it's
0: kind of it's kind <laughs> I, of one it's kind of one of those things that you know we i had a conversation with the coach about competition you know and the coaching competition in Ireland. I mean I don't really know what it's like. It's just is it kind of deemed or somebody's stealing my student or whatever. But there's a lot of power in kind of just going to just a few different coaches every now and again just to see because you're not going to learn everything from one coach if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well I suppose I suppose I have a, a slightly different mentality on it in that I I think that you need to have a core coach. Or yeah or what, I, what I've done is is I've assembled my team uh, and there are people who work in a very, they might not know each other or whatever, but they work in an extremely cohesive way um, and they can, and it integrates into my, my way of thinking. So if you take Carol and Mel, they're, they're similar, they're different, but they're similar, uh, but they're both coming from a very similar angle. Uh, Whereas the problem is if you go if you're always hopping from coach to coach to coach, you never get the full lesson, because what's what's really interesting is that there's people who there's people who stick with the same coach for 20 years and they'll go to a clinic with someone else or whatever. And if you look at those people closely and you look at their competition results and you look at their horse's way of going, their horse is always going to go better than someone who goes to Mary, then Johnny, then Billy, then Jack. Oh, do you know what? I'm going go back to Mary. Because the horse is a very simple animal. And they have a limited capacity for learning things. And what we have to do is we've got to make it as simple and straightforward for them as possible. What happens a lot when people coach Hop is that they become confused. And if the rider's confused, I promise you the horse is confused. It's like one of the phrases I use when I'm teaching is. I'm not sure what you're trying to do there. If I don't know what you're doing, do you think the horse does? And yeah. it sounds like a real negative thing to say to someone, but they suddenly go, oh, hold on a second. OK, and then they start to reorganize their thoughts. So I think it is important that it's good to go and see other coaches and do other stuff. But having a core coach or core coaches that you can integrate into your own thoughts and system is really important. And again, there's some coaches who are like chameleons. Um, So Carol, for me, is that chameleon. Carol, it it wouldn't matter if she coached you, me, Anne-Marie Dunphy, Kevin Akers, it wouldn't matter who she was coaching. She can mold into their system and guide them through their own system forward. But then there's other coaches who, who don't have that plasticity and they're teaching adaptability Adapt, and, well, adaptability is one thing but plasticity is i feel another thing like they completely remold theirs themselves mm. uh and they're able to stand on your place in the planet because it's a skill that isn't common mm. most coaches teach people to ride the way they ride rather than developing people to ride the way that person rides Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds like, and even there, you know, if you just take a moment to just really absorb it, you know, plasticity is is the key, is is, is the key word there. And and being, you know, like, being able to, like, that kind of mould themselves into their system.
1: Yeah. And it's, I suppose, that's what that's my goal at the moment is, is to try and make myself more plastic that it doesn't matter who comes into me I'm building onto them not realigning them because there's yeah. a certain amount of like there's there's some BHS training yards in the UK and they're, they're brilliant you will get your exam if you go to them but their process is they break people down and they build them back up and you have then 10 people who are exactly the same thing. Mm. And it works. It's a system. But the problem is, you ne- it takes that person then a long time to come out of that system and grow into themselves. Mm. And I think we're much better off to help people to recalibrate, to realign, to grow, to develop, to integrate into their writing. And it's one, that, one of the things I, I have a lady who I teach and she's, she, she gets lessons from another coach as well. And my coaching sessions are a lot to do with making her able to take the coaching from the other coach. Helping her adapt, integrate, to understand that sometimes she needs to ignore what that other coach is saying a little bit so that other coach can get her to that spot. And that's because that other coach is not able to have that plasticity they 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 teach one way a method yeah. and i think staying away from methods and staying more towards core beliefs and principles is a much better approach for me that's what i'm with. now look i'm not there yet uh, and i probably never be there because then i'll be on that top of the mountain and the problem is once you get on the top of the mountain you got to go and climb another one uh, and i quite mm-hmm. like to climb this mountain for my lifetime if i can't
0: I love that. I love that. So, kind of just to wrap up this um, conversation, what are your long-term and short-term goals for Bergen Equine? Oh,
1: well, <laughs> that's right, a podcast in and of itself. Um, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose, what I'd like to feel is that Bergen Equine will become. Uh, Let's use some modern terminology. We'll become a brand that's synonymous with rider and horse-centered development, um, all the way up the spectrum of, of levels. I suppose that that would be my long-term goal for Bergen Equine. I'm actually like I'm so thrilled with what we do as it is. Like we teach a lot of uh, we get t- teach a lot of once a week riders and that. And I'm so thrilled with the progress they're able to make that uh, mm-hmm. I find it really fulfilling. And I also like, I teach quite a quite a few kids with high functioning, medium functioning autism. And Perfect. some of those are, are so fulfilling because, you know, these are people, kids who they, they don't talk, but they can write and they can observe, absorb the lesson. They can write just as well as a typically developing child. And I suppose I enjoy doing that. And I, I suppose I just, I really want to keep thinking towards developing people onward and, you know, that we'd be synonymous with that. So that's, that, that's the big dream. And then I'd love, I'd love it if I could do connect something in online so that I can work to a wider audience. Cause my problem at the moment is I'm, I'm working on full capacity now. I can't, can't really take many more people uh, because there's only one of me. So I'd love it if there was some kind of online platform where we could discuss or that we could open it up to a wider audience or I don't know, something like that. But like COVID's shown me so much that there's so much that we can do. How can we make this work for Bergen Equine yeah. to make it more widely accessible? I suppose that would be the big thing is to increase accessibility.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really like that. And then just to for uh, one or two quickfire questions. Uh, so you get a um, kind of, okay. yeah, an immediate kind of uh, response. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten?
1: Um, don't try to be what someone else wants you to be. Work on being yourself. I
0: like that. I like that a lot. And what does success mean to you?
1: Um, success to me means always being a student and growing forward. Because I think I went through a process with my, with my qualifications where I, I got my first teaching qualification, I knew everything. Now I have more questions than answers. And as a result, I feel much more successful because I'm asking myself the right questions. So that's what success means to me.
0: Wow, I really like that. but I cannot thank you enough for this really um, thought-provoking um, conversation. There was so much in there that even myself, I'm going to go away thinking about it. And even when I re-listen to it even the the quote and there's so much um value in this conversation that i'm taking away and i know the listeners will take away as well um so thank you so much for coming on
1: absolute pleasure thank you very much for having me